Just because I'm trapped in the underworld doesn't mean that I'm not connected to the outside world. We wouldn't be whoring out our social media each week if I didn't have access to it. Sure enough, I've been following a couple of people on our Twitter, and they've been following me back, and I do appreciate the attention. One particular tweeter caught my eye a little while ago, particularly because this one user is making it his life's mission to watch every single episode of television that ever existed. He goes by the name at Televisionary ZW, and as of the writing of this script, this person has seen exactly 9,658 individual episodes of TV shows spanning all of television's existence, which means he either has a lot of spare time on his hands, or he too is trapped in an endless eternity of watching TV as a punishment. We may not know for sure. Among the tweets, he covered shows that people know by heart, shows that make you go, oh right, I forgot about that, and other shows that the rest of us may not know, period. Today, we're going to look at a show that's a combination of show I kinda remember, yet many others don't. As buried among the nearly 10,000 micro-reviews, there was one show in particular that, aside from the blockbuster video TV show that aired on Netflix recently that he really tore into, he seemed to have dispensed the most venom towards this other one. And just by coincidence, this show happened to air on the Fox network at a time in its life where they were still eager to fill their schedule with as much content as they possibly could. There's a guy named Thor doing butt clinches in the lobby. Hi, And now... Fox. Fox. It's Fox Failure February. In I have a feeling this may be one of the more obscure shows that we've reviewed around here. But just because something is obscure doesn't mean it still won't become an interesting story. A story that begins with a writer named Catherine Green. After getting her foot in the door by writing for various TV specials with Bob Hope, Green would use that experience to get her foot in the door of some of the top sitcoms of the 1980s, writing a handful of episodes for shows like Taxi, Cheers, Mama's Family, New Heart, The Facts of Life, and a few other one-season wonders. She was also instrumental in production of about 70% of the run of Married with Children, not only being a writer on some episodes, but also as the show's supervising-slash-co-executive-slash-solo-executive producer for nine of its 11 seasons on the air. By 1992, thanks to the success she helped establish with the Bundys, the Fox network felt it was time for Green to branch out a little. But before Fox would give Green the green light, another network had their eye on her talents. Yes, I know, it's Fox Failure February. But in order for this story to make sense, we must first take a detour to CBS, who, in 1991, could still boast that they had decent shows with perennially solid ratings, especially if they had sporting events as their lead-in. But one big problem the network was facing by that point was just how many of their shows just happened to cater to a much older demographic compared to their youthful competition. CBS wanted to hire Green to do for them what she already did for Fox. Fortunately, Green had an idea in her pocket that she was hoping would be her magnum opus. 
The tale of the goings-on at a hospital in the state of Oklahoma, which, to be fair, was a somewhat unique location for any TV show, let alone a sitcom, considering nine times out of ten, most TV shows take place either in major metro cities, cities that are mid-sized, or other far-off locales. Oklahoma was a pretty uncommon location, though the selection of the locale is probably because that happens to be where series creator Green went to college. Which reminds me. Go Sooners! Go Sooners! Come out! Stop it! Stop it now! But I digress. The action taking place at the hospital would revolve around their chief nurse and the continuing incompetency she faces on a daily basis. Pretty standard boilerplate sitcom premise, which would have been a good fit for a standard boilerplate network like CBS. But as we said, CBS was looking to veer away from its traditional norms and put on something that was more ballsy than they have in the past. And remember, this was a network that gave the green light to shows like The Smothers Brothers and All in the Family, so it wasn't exactly unprecedented for them to want to push the envelope a bit. The question CBS would ask themselves, however, is just how far they were willing to go to be hip and edgy, but still maintain their high standards. For the answer to that, as well as a lesson on how TV shows can be bought or sold to other networks after they pass on airing them, we need to jump ahead a little in the story. I'd like to quote from a June 1992 article from Daniel Cerrone of the Los Angeles Times. Quote, If you were a TV executive, what would you do after deciding that a new show you've spent a million dollars or more creating is not quite right for your network? Traditionally, you would probably kill the project, take the write-off, and go back to the drawing board. But with increased pressure to find cost-cutting alternatives in the network television business, which is growing riskier with each season, executives are revising some of their time-worn practices to make more economic sense. That's why Rachel Gunn, RN, premiering Sunday night, is showing up on Fox when it was originally developed for other networks. When CBS executives screened the six Rachel Gunn episodes they had ordered last year, there was a feeling that the show's outrageous attitude did not quite fit on the stately CBS network. It looked more like a Fox show than one of our shows, a CBS executive said. Normally, proceedings would have ended there. Rather than let the show slip into the hands of the competition, CBS would have likely written off their development costs, estimated at $3 million for six episodes. But the economics of the business are rapidly changing, and networks can no longer afford that kind of thinking. So, CBS allowed their series to be swept up and added to the Fox schedule at the last minute to save them from what might have been a permanent shelf life. Columbia Pictures returned the license fees that CBS paid for the right to broadcast the Rachel Gunn episodes, essentially buying them back, and sold the series to Fox, end quote. Also as a bit of related trivia, this show was not the only show made in 1992 to face this fate. Remember Whoops, the subject of our 31st episode? Mrs. Claus! Mrs. Claus! Well, believe it or not, that show was originally developed for NBC before they passed on it and Fox came in to swoop up the rights. The things you learn through research. Anyway, before CBS could pass the ball to Fox, there still had to be a valid reason for them to do so. It couldn't have been because of the cast of the show, because they brought on some major talent. After, they had to do one quick casting change on the main character. 
Country music legend K.T. Oslin, whose story is way too long to tell here, was originally considered for the title role in the series when it was being developed in 1991. But upon reading the script, she ultimately decided to pass on it because she felt the character was too mean. So, instead of a country singer, producers decided to go with a city girl instead. And that's the revolutionary costume for today to show the polo riders in caps and These are the dulcet tones of one Miss Christine Eversole, who made her way on the Great White Way starting in the 1970s. Whenever she wasn't on the Broadway stage, she would also do club acts in the city with her friend and legendary showbiz songsmith, Mark Shaman. From those Broadway performances, club acts, and even a handful of soap opera appearances, Ebersole would land her big televised break in 1981, when she was hired by Dick Ebersole, no relation, to be a cast member on the seventh season of Saturday Night Live. Although she would only be on the show for that one season, it was enough of a calling card for her stage and screen career to explode. To this day, Ebersole remains one of the more durable actors in any medium. And damn, what a set of pipes she has. I loved you. Ebersole will replace Oslin in the title role of Rachel Gunn, R.N. Now all that was left was to assemble a staff that would annoy her to no end. That staff included your fair share of fellow nurses, doctors, orderlies, and even the spare nun or two. Hospitals do have chapels, you know. While I'd be pressed to find out anything about the actors that played them, aside from the fact that their IMDB pages have a number of photo-not-available headshots, we'll talk more about them as we get into the review. But for now, some of the people worth noting includes a plucky 34-year-old ingenue and future love of Nick Offerman's life, Megan Mullally. Oh, time to get some shut-eye. But chief among Nurse Gunn's frequent foils is the hospital's main doctor named David Dunkel. And he would be played by... I have to pause for a second. Because this next person needs to be discussed with the greatest of reverence. The idea of heaping praise on the late, legendary, and still very much missed Kevin Conroy would be akin to using one bucket of water to put out a wildfire. But I'll try anyway. For me and millions of others, Conroy was Batman. It didn't matter what else he would do in his career, including a number of live-action roles in the 70s and 80s. But Conroy will never not be known as anybody else but Batman to me and millions of others. Anybody else who played Batman before and since, with the exception of Michael Keaton and maybe Adam West, ranged anywhere from placeholder to understudy to pale imitation. Conroy was the real deal, despite being a pen and ink interpretation. I guarantee you, you can't even read a Batman comic book in this day and age and not hear his voice in the speech bubbles. His impact was that immense. 
Of course, him playing the part for nearly 30 years might give him an unfair advantage. But even if longevity wasn't a factor, he was probably responsible for giving Batman a range of emotions that no live-action Cape Crusader could ever accomplish. Again, with the exception of Keaton and West. Conroy played Batman so well throughout the rest of his career that it almost makes any other role that he's ever played before or since seem irrelevant. And that would probably include this show. So much so that for the duration of this review, instead of calling him by his actual character name, I'm just going to go ahead and call him Dr. Batman because, let's face it, when you hear a voice that distinctive on a show where he would play a doctor, you'd probably do the same thing too. Admit it. I am vengeance. I am the knight. I am Batman. So now that we've staffed our hospital, only one question remains. What could have possibly been on this sitcom that made CBS pronounce it dead on arrival, only for it to be transferred to another network where its condition would be upgraded to temporarily alive? Find out as we strap an EKG onto our patient and then shave it down for cardiac catheterization after the break. So we featured this podcast last week when we were doing our prologue to Fox Failure February, but that was the short promo. Here now in its 60-second glory is a podcast that I've really enjoyed listening to the past couple of weeks. It's called Weird Darkness. Welcome, weirdos. I'm Darren Marlar, the host of Weird Darkness, where I bring you true stories of the paranormal, supernatural, legends, lore, crime, conspiracy, mysterious, macabre, unsolved, and unexplained. Named one of the 20 best storytellers in podcasting by Podcast Business Journal and ranked one of the best true crime and paranormal podcasts by Podcast Magazine. Bolt your doors, lock your windows, turn off your lights, and come with me into the Weird Darkness, posted seven days per week. Find Weird Darkness everywhere you listen to podcasts or visit WeirdDarkness.com. And just like the promo said, you can listen to Weird Darkness at WeirdDarkness.com. And if you are a podcast and want to do a promo swap, get in contact with me at our official Telehell complaint line, TelehellPodcast at gmail.com. But remember, we only have a handful of episodes left in the season, so space is limited if you want to do it. All you got to do is send us a promo, and we'll send you one of our promos in return. It's that easy. And now, here's what's coming this week for the premium folks. 
this week on Telehell's premium content of the damned. Don't just watch television, experience it as 7-Eleven presents Foxorama. Two nights of outrageous interactive comedy events. Party, party, party. Featuring living single in Aroma Vision. And married with children in 3D. Plus the wildest nerds movie ever in Aroma Vision and 3D. Kits will be available Friday at participating subways. Then join in the fun with host Al Bundy. Let's rock. Foxorama, beginning Sunday, May 8th. The only way to listen to Telehell's premium content of The Damned is by becoming a patron at patreon.com slash podcast For just a few bucks a month, you can listen to our premium content and get some swag along the way. Once again, that's patreon.com slash podcast now at new low prices and now back to this week's torture june 28th 1992 a pair of earthquakes strike the desert area of southern california including the third strongest on record the United States basketball dream team beats Cuba by a score of 133-57 to 57 in an exhibition game. And at 8.30, 7.30 Central, Fox's newest comedy greets our viewers with a CBS stereo sound logo at the bottom of its screen. Seriously, Fox, you couldn't remove that in post-production? I know the network was still going through some growing pains at that point, but having another network's iconography on one of your shows makes about as much sense as a radio station screwing up the call letters of the very place you're working at. The winner of the KTU Mixed 102 Redo Contest. And my apologies for a very inside joke. As we now jump into our theme song, a cover of Huey Lewis's Working for a Living, sung by the star of our show, because there's no point in letting her pipes go to waste. As the credits roll, we see the rest of the hospital staff sneaking away from their duties while Dr. Batman grows curious as to why, only to find out that the staff is hiding a pizza from everybody. Standard sitcom shenanigans, but why would you hold back a pizza from Dr. Batman? I'm sure he would have loved to indulge once in a while. Well, that and also for nachos. Batman does not eat nachos! Yes, I know, wrong voice actor, but come on, it's still Batman and junk food. How could I not? Anyway, we begin by getting to know our hospital staff, who, by the way, work at a place called Little Innocence Hospital. I'm sure once we get to know our staff a little better, the name will be more than apt, as we now meet Nurse Megan Mullally and a male nurse played by a full-blooded Native American, the late Brian Brightcloud. I wish someone would tell me why I haven't asked her out yet. Because you're married and have five kids? No, that's not it. Because your wife owns a crossbow and isn't afraid to use it? I believe that's it. Can't ask for more little innocence than potential infidelity, so points for truth in advertising. As we now meet Rachel Gunn, and we see just how heavy a hammer she wields. Come here, dear. Sit down, let me explain something to you. You like the doctors, don't you? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> doctors are idiots. 
They are. They're pompous asses who think we're their maids. We aren't. We're medically trained professionals who mop up spittle and feed sick people tapioca pudding till they puke, then we clean that up. God, I hate my life. Well, that's the problem with first impressions. You only get to make one. And while we're wondering why our main character is so hostile to doctors, we see her deal with the human flotation device disguised as a fellow nurse. <laughs> Look, Miss Legs Over Easy. I'm your boss, Rachel Gunn, RN. F-A-A-N, a B-S-N from O-S-U, and M-S from S-M-U, and 15 years more experience than Y-O-U. <laughs> I don't care. I have big B-O-B-S. And an E-D-U-K-A-S-H-I-N to match. Now, just one more thing. Say, we. We? It's supposed to be wee! What an idiot. Well, it could have been worse. She could have said wee like this. Wee! Wee, wee, wee! So, so far, we've met people who hate doctors, people who hate their lives, and people who want to cheat on their wife with skimpy nurses. How about somebody to counteract all of that? Like, say, a resident nun. Now cheer up, Rachel. Oh, easy enough for you. You believe in an orderly universe and get to save souls. I, on the other hand, get to save urine in little bottles. <laughs> now, Rachel, that's just your empty duplex talking. I wish I could help you rent it out. Oh, that's all right, Joan. I guess I wasn't expecting any real estate tips from someone who lives with a hundred other women in a dank cave. <laughs> Wait, nuns live in dank caves? I live in a dank cave. Albeit the dank does get burnt away by the constant fire around here, so it really feels more like a steam bath, but still, nuns live in caves? Does this mean nuns can also be Batman? Thank you to uh, Satan for giving me inspiration on how to play this role. Wrong Batman number two as we meander our way to the overall plot of the episode. Nurse Gunn loses a tenant for her duplex and the need to fill that gap. Fortunately, her staff has a suggestion. Maybe Dr. Dunkel would rent your place. I hear his ex-wife got everything but his beeper and two pairs of pants. I hear he couldn't keep anything but his beeper in his pants. Oh, oh imagine that! Oh, I just did! I think I'll pray. Keep it moving, sister. We don't do any prayer answering around here. Unfortunately... As we finally introduce ourselves to Dr. Batman, as well as why Nurse Gunn holds a grudge towards doctors. I broke my pencil! Oh, good morning, Dr. Dunkel. Where's the other nurse? The one with the low-cut dress, the short skirt, and the, um, face of some sort, I think. If she had to leave us, her pimp was suddenly taken ill. May I help you without twirling my dress around my neck? You could get me a hot stick to gouge my eyes out with in case you ever do. <laughs> okay, okay, getting to that, Tootie. I'm getting there. Uh, it has been brought to my attention that in the year 2016, Kevin Conroy came out as a homosexual. And if you look up a publication he wrote for DC Comics shortly before he passed away called Finding Batman, 
He mentions his struggles of concealing that secret for most of his career over the fear that if people found out about it, it would cost him some acting roles. Which, as he would eventually write, it did. I kind of feel compelled to mention this because, as you will hear in the rest of this show, Conroy's performance as the Doctor may come off as a little flamboyant to some. I broke my pencil! Sometimes it's just very, very weird when someone we've seen for many years do one thing, do a sharp 180-degree turn in the other direction. But you know what? That just made him much better as an actor. And to be further fair, this was the summer of 1992. The Batman series didn't premiere yet. So, for argument's sake, let's just call this one last gasp of character role anonymity, as we now meet some additional hospital staffers, including the hospital dietitian. The specially formulated entree I've come up with for cardio patients on a restricted diet. Here, try it. I'm not a doctor, but I'd say that's a colon. Well, I'm a doctor. Uh, it's a colon, all right. Silent breed is people! We've got to stop them somehow! So, if you've been keeping track, over the course of the first seven minutes, we've seen jokes against doctors, women, nuns, Native Americans, and borderline cannibalism. And not one of these jokes elicited even the most courtesy of laughs. I'm starting to wonder why CBS passed on this show, and we've barely scratched the surface of this episode's plot. Well, I'm going down to post-op to check on a patient. Oh, you had a patient make it to post-op. Gee, now you'll have to read the next chapter. (laughs) You know, I could fix that stoop. And having an upbeat yet snarky Dr. Batman just raises more questions as we see just how much of a bedside manner Nurse Gunn has with her patients. Suffice to say, the patience of the patients wears thin. And pat yourself on the back, by the way, you just learned a homonym today. Why did a surly, ill wind of a woman like you decide to become a nurse? Well, let's see. After I lost my bid for re-election to the House of Lords, I bounced around for a while as a drummer for Led Zeppelin. And then one day I said to my roommate, Madonna, if that was just a job where I could wear a big white shoes and carry fat men on my back to the bathroom, what a happy woman I'd be. Okay, credit where credit is due. As mean-spirited as the dialogue may be, at least Christine Ebersole sells the hear out of it. And she probably would have sold the hear out of it even more if there was no laugh track. Though, for a snarky nurse without a laugh track to work, you may want to wait 15 years for that. Hi. You wanted to see the manager? Why are you wearing a nurse's uniform? I'm Moonlight. What's the problem? She screwed up my order. Yeah, it happens. Don't need to be an asshole. Excuse me? Is he a client? Yeah. Well, you think it's going to impress him berating a 24-year-old waitress? Is that how you do business? You comfortable doing business with an asshole? No, actually. My daughter's a waitress. Oh, you might want to apologize. I am sorry. No, not to him. To her. I'm sorry. Get him his chicken. Janine. I am your manager. He said he was sorry. Get him his chicken. Thank you, Edie Falco. And now back to this waste of a stage icon's talent. I hope that you wrench every single muscle in your back trying to lift me on that thing. Oh, please, Mr. Bellows. I'm a professional. I know how to avoid back injury and heavy lifting. That's why I brought Dane here. Dane, we need to bring Mr. Bellows down to surgery. Get on the gurney. (laughs) Okay, okay. That's one good joke that I'll give the show credit for, but for every up, there's inevitably going to be a down as Nurse Gunn continues to cope with Dr. Batman. Give me Mr. Beasley sedated. 
Yes. Good. Then no one will see me talking to you, especially about this. About what? Me renting your duplex. So it's true what they say about you. Oh, how the mighty rich have fallen. Hey, don't you worry about me, nursey. I'll be filthy rich again before you can say I clean bedpans for a living. I love it when the jokes write themselves. Roll it! That's all right, Dr. Cates. Mr. Tetch is a valued member of our research team. I'm sure we can spare him more time. As you say, Bruce. Go on. Now, does this place come with a garage? Or am I going to have to park my Ford Fiesta, status symbol of divorced men everywhere, out on the lawn? The Batmobile, it lost the wheel. The Joker got away. That's what I heard. Keep him coming. I'm temporarily living in a really terrific home. Perhaps you've heard of it? That's right, Alfred. The Batcave. It's a big hole in the ground with a big car in it that's all black. Remember? Come on, more, 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 more. Did I mention that Moose can breathe through his palms and Tilly weaves dresses out of human hair? Some thought I'd gone mad. Others thought I always had been. And so they put me where they thought I belonged. Come on, bring it on home. So take your dumb diplomas and stinking stethoscopes and go Motel 6 yourself to sleep. Be gone, foul shadow. I used the night. I became the night. Sooner or later, I'll go down. It might be the Joker or Two-Face or just some punk who gets lucky. My decision, no regrets. Thank you, spirits of serendipity. Oh, and I thought this was going to be a hard one to do today. Oh, I get it. It's so seldom in life that a nurse gets a chance to lord it over a doctor. You want me to beg. No, I don't. Oh, sure you do. You want me down on my knees, don't you? No, I don't. You want me to plead with you? I do not. Then what do you want? Dance. See this week's episode trailer on YouTube to see him dance, and it's pretty much a done deal. All right, you can move in tomorrow. But just remember one thing. If you ever come lumbering up to my house in your boxer shorts looking for a cup of sugar, I will gun you down like common street trash. Welcome to the neighborhood. So, Dr. Batman prepares to move in with the mom from Mac and Me. Surely she could use a little good news. Cue an extra from the Lorenzo Lamas series Renegade in three, two... Excuse me, where's Nurse Gunn? I don't know. Wait a minute, it's coming back to me now. I'm Nurse Gunn. You wouldn't by chance be Mr... Bullet. <laughs> no, my name's Thor. Son of Odin. As long as there is life in my breast, I am running. Hey, we're honoring Batman. Let's keep the jokes to one comic book monolith at a time here. Is your place still for rent? Well, yes. Well, is it really big? Would you like to see it? I can meet you there at nooner. I mean, <laughs> noon. <laughs> Help. I've fallen, and I can't get up. Oh, yeah. Remember when that used to be the sitcom punchline of the 90s? So much so that Life Alert actually wound up having to trademark that phrase so that it wouldn't be considered a joke anymore? I may have to save that story for a future edition of our premium shows, which, once again, you can only hear at patreon.com slash telehellpodcast. As Nurse Gunn finds herself with a bit of a quandary on her hands, trying not to upset the person who could potentially fire her, or put out a metaphorical fire that's burning all over her body. There's a guy named Thor doing butt clinches in the lobby? <laughs> You're right, I have no choice. 
Carney. Yes, because what good is a paycheck if you don't give in to your throbbing biological urges? Boy, that was a long act one. And, and this is a sitcom, so you kind of expect everything to wrap up at a breakneck speed now for Act 2, as Nurse Gunn wrestles with regret over just how horny she can be. For about 23 seconds, as Thor re-enters. We know each other! He's a friend from work! Not that one. What is it you said you needed? Your cassette player? Oh, yeah, right. Thanks. I'm entered in the Mr. Big Guy Dance Contest next week. <laughs> Hey, would you like to see my... Yes! A reminder that this show was originally developed for CBS, a network that, throughout its history, had been the homes to the likes of positive female role models like Lucille Ball, Carol Burnett, Gene Stapleton, Mary Tyler Moore, Tyne Daly, Sharon Gless, Susan St. James, Jane Curtin, Patricia Heaton, and far too many others to list. Not that there's anything wrong with women ogling men, but I think I'm starting to see why they'd be willing to pawn the show off on Fox, especially once we get to the audience's reactions. I'll elaborate a little more on this once we get to the nine circles, but this moment right here pretty much sealed the show's fate to make the move from CBS to Fox. More on that later as Dr. Batman tries to move in. I gotta work on my big finish. Oh, uh, I'll be over in a minute. I can help you with that. You can dance around for a while and then I can wash you like a cat. Smooth. Dr. Batman, rebuttal. Who was that? Well, it all depends. Were you still planning on moving in? Yes. Then that would be your roommate. I signed that lease. I wrote this check. I danced for you. Well, maybe if you sung a little, that might have sealed the deal. Am I blue? Am I blue? Ain't these tears in my eyes telling you? But once again, I digress, as Nurse Gun and Dr. Batman square off. All right, all right, I'll tell him he has to leave, but I'm going to need a little time. How long? Two years. <laughs> okay. I can understand you're wanting him to stay, and I don't mind. You don't? No. As long as you don't mind me having my favorite nurse transferred to your floor. It's the schemers that put you where you are. You were a schemer. You had plans. And uh, look where that got you. God, I wish. That would make this show even the most remotely entertaining. You remember Betty, don't you? Big bad Betty the human machete? (laughs) He's just bluffing. Chuck? Dave, can I get a nurse transferred to the fourth floor? You swine. (laughs) You should have thought of that before you rented my duplex to a man with bigger breasts than yours. So now, Nurse Gunn has to break the bad news. Yeah, I'd like you to meet my family. They'll probably be over here quite a bit. This is Hercules. This is Samson. And this is Goober. And along with it, more potential panty dropping as the good nurse gets rid of Thor and the rest of the Avengers in probably one of the 
pussiest ways I've ever seen anybody get defeated in any form of media, physically, mentally, or otherwise. Haven't you ever evicted anybody before? No, they all just died. Well, they kind of all just died. Yeah, all. Everybody who's ever lived here has died? Yeah, everyone. <laughs> you see, I always run into elderly people. Mr. Davis and Mrs. Hardy. Oh, and those 90-year-old identical twins. That was sad. They forgot which one was which, and the wrong one climbed into the iron lung. Oh, I hate death. It's so... I'm pumped. Yeah. Now... I'm not one to criticize what one is supposed to be afraid of because sometimes being afraid of irrational things is perfectly normal. But wussing out just because people who happen to be of advanced age pass away in the same dwelling has to be... The stupidest ex machina in the history of ex machinas. Especially considering that everybody else in the room were bodybuilders and were probably capable of not only living for several decades down the line, but could also probably kick the asses of anybody who tried to get in their way. And they just pack up and leave because a bunch of geezers who were already half dust decided to complete the full dust cycle? I mean, it's not like Nurse Gun killed any of them. Or. Did she? You were kidding about all those people, weren't you? I mean, well, everyone who's lived here didn't really die, did they? Don't you find that a little strange? What's so strange? You live, you die. You're a doctor, you know about death. Hell, you probably killed half the people in this town. <laughs> well, yeah, well, you seem to be doing a pretty good job killing off the other half. Well done. That does not answer the question whatsoever. Why even bring this up anyway? I mean, it's not like it's ever going to be a plot point of the rest of the series. Maybe it was to scare Dr. Batman. <sighs> Finally, my own place. Batman knows his way around wolf-like creatures, right? It takes the Batman, Wolfman, Frankenstein, or Dracula to put her in the mood for love. And that's Wrong Batman number three. And even that's an obscure reference for this show. So, where does Rachel Gunn, RN, get to make her rounds in telehell? Paging a Dr. BLZ Bub? Code blue on the nine circles. Stat. Limbo, lust, gluttony, wrath, heresy, violence, treachery. The show was scheduled for a 13-week run in the summer of 1992. And as it happens, right in the middle of that summer were the Olympic Games on NBC. So to say that this show even had a chance to begin with was about as likely as me making a bunch of Iron Man references instead of Batman today. And although all 13 shows have made their way elsewhere online, it's the original broadcast run that counts, and the original run only lasted 10 shows, with three of them going unaired, making this one eligible for Limbo. 
As for the show itself, I can see why CBS would pass on it. If that Chippendales dance scene and the audience reaction was any indication, this show was tailor-made for the Fox network in its early years, pretty much because every other Fox sitcom of the same time frame had the same type of studio audience. Loud, raucous, and sometimes uninhibited. There was no way down here it was ever going to be time slot buddies with the likes of Murphy Brown and... Whatever the other sitcom CBS aired in the early 90s were, because the network was on the downswing by that point. Still, though, CBS had their class, dignity, and pride in spite of their hard times. And for them to put on a show like this would be heresy to years of that quality tradition. Not to mention the fact that the episodes were already produced by the time they sold it to Fox, so it was only natural for CBS to want to get their money back. So, a dash of greed, too. Otherwise, I can see where the critics may be coming from when they talk about how mean-spirited it can be. But I gotta give Wrath a pass on this because it's pretty easy to confuse mean-spiritedness with 21st century snark. Maybe it was too harsh for an early 90s audience, but it would certainly fit in on cable TV today. Something that is worth complaining about, though, is just how horny everybody seemed to be. Which, again, would be pretty tame by today's standards. But for early 90s TV, probably a little too pearl-clutching, unless it aired at a later hour. And a handful of other episodes in the show's run show further examples of just how lustful some of these residents can be. Otherwise, bless you, Batman, but you, Miss Ebersole, or the future wife of Nick Offerman could not save this show based out of Oklahoma, where the wind went sweeping down the lane. Rachel Gunn, RN, earns four out of nine circles of telehell. But you know something? Bad TV shows and even mediocre ones come and go. And quite honestly, it's become a little old hat for us around here. If we're really going to take down Fox, and I mean really take down Fox and its questionable programming decisions over its 36 years on the air and counting, I think the time has come to really challenge ourselves. And I also think that the time has come to talk about TV shows that existed in theory only, but failed to exist in practice. Next time on Telehell, a bit of a first for us as we continue Fox Failure February with the story of a TV series that was fully produced and was all set to air until suddenly it didn't. Today, I'm going to dig the underwear out of my crack. (laughs) And now for a well-deserved break. Until then. If it's not in Telehell... It's not worth a damn. A reminder, we are doing promo swaps. We just did one for this show, and we still have seven shows left to go in this season. So if you're a podcast, and you have a promo, and you want to do some swapping, get in contact with us at our business slash complaint line, telehealthpodcast at gmail.com. And now, here are the rest of the credits. Telehell was written, produced, edited, and narrated by me, Justin Hart. All clips used in this program are protected under the Fair Use Doctrine of the U.S. Copyright Act of 1976, and all clips used come courtesy of their respective companies and owners. Some of the music used in this program comes courtesy of YouTube and their audio library service. 
Telehell is a production of Horton Road and is distributed by Libsyn. The show may be over, but you know where to find us. On social media, Twitter and Facebook at Telehell Podcast. Want to hear some premium content? Go to patreon.com slash Podcast. And if you have any questions or comments about this show, feel free to contact us at our complaint line, telehellpodcast at gmail.com. But even more than that, please be sure to like, comment, rate, subscribe, lie to us all over the places where Telehell is streaming, including Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, and many others, just by Googling Telehell. 